0: well welcome in we finally got some rain just what we needed it worked out Quite nicely for those that wanted to play nine today. Before has it the saved, downpour came,
1: save the beans and the and the corn. That's what mm-hmm. I want to
0: know. I don't think it'll. No. Is it too late? Or I we know. need more. We need more. You just yeah, need more. Okay. You just need more. It's it's good, yeah. but I don't know. It's a start. I I thought I heard that most crops are still doing okay, but not outstanding.
1: Well, yeah, we've spent a long time without much rain.
0: It came down in a hurry today. Yep. I did not have an umbrella handy, and I went from the front door to the car, and I thought, I'll be fine. Soaked. <laughs> Soaked. And then went over to get lunch and had to do the same mad dash, and then...
1: It was always good when it overflows my gutters. Then I mm-hmm. know that we got a good rain.
0: Yep. And then I got a broken seal on the car door, and so I came back and sat in a little puddle in my car, and... <laughs> Yeah, had not the most fun. But hey, we need it. Uh, the flowers need it. The lawns need it. And of course, crops need it. So we will take it. Welcome in on Sports Talk. Lauren Tate with me, Scott Beatty. And we are going till six o'clock. Uh, Lauren's here for hour number one. Colin Lykus will pinch it with uh, for Evan Kahn, the vacationing Evan Kahn, in for hour number two. And we have sort of a, sort of a lineman theme to our show unintentionally. Okay. Former uh, uh, Iowa Hawkeye turned Big 10 and network analyst and also a radio guy up in uh, Chicago Anthony Heron will be on the show with us here coming up before the hour is out. Okay. Second hour two more large human beings and Alex Palcheski and Alex Pilstrom. That's good. Alf- offensive lineman for Illinois they are a part of a Lift for Life uplifting athletes doing the Annual summer charity with weightlifting. They're going to come in studio, let us know how to give on that, but also give us a summer workout update.
1: Last year, before the start of the season, I asked Balashevsky, who's the most improved guy that you've seen this summer, this past as a year ago? And he said, without a doubt, Chase Brown. I want you to ask him that question. Who's the most improved this year? See that wasn't going said.
0: to be my first question. I was going to ask him who the starting quarterback's going to be. Well, <laughs> I.
1: We know who the starting quarterback is going to be, don't we? I mean, it's going to be DeVito.
0: The answer is, wait till August 27th. Well, yeah, if they start giving those kind of answers, you know they're being evasive.
1: Hanson, I said to Hanson, okay, which position are you going to play this year? Well, he wouldn't answer. Of course he uh, wouldn't. But uh, the reason I brought up Chase Brown is that a rating service ranked the best one-two punches running backs – in the country. And number one, would you believe, is Wisconsin, that they've got the best combined duo um, in the country. And uh, their, their names are Allen and Malusi. But Illinois is, uh, 21st. And I think that as much as the national reporters try to downgrade Illinois, and they do, they always make Illinois look worse than, than than maybe they and and maybe there's a reason for that. But twenty first indicates to me we're probably in the top ten, mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe in the certainly better than one of our best one two punches in a long time with Chase Brown and uh, um, forgetting his name, uh, Mc, McRae. Yeah, Josh McRae. Yeah, and McRae uh, showed an awful lot as a freshman. But briefly, you know, like in five games, he was really impressive. But I think he'll be ready for the whole season. I hear his, his weight is up. I hear his strength is up. His speed is up. And we know Chase Brown's going to be a good one. So Illinois is going to emphasize the running game. Can they get the passing game together sufficiently to make that running game effective?
0: Well, you have to be able to make the makeable throws. Yeah. Whether you're Tommy DeVito or Art Sidkowski or anybody else that's in that quarterback room, if you can make the 10- to 20-yard throws and, and, and keep everything off, uh, keep the defense a little bit on skates and attention to that, plus you have the wrinkle of Isaiah Williams. The thing about Isaiah Williams that confounds me, Lauren, is every year we've heard we're going to use him more. We're going to use him more. Got to get the ball into number one's hands mm-hmm. because he's a playmaker but then it doesn't happen enough.
1: Well, he, he caught 45 balls. I bet it goes up to 60 or 70 this year, don't you mm-hmm. think? Yeah. I mean, I think every you know, I, in talking to different people, I mean really different people, they really think Lenny's going to be a, a tremendous offensive coordinator. There, he, there's, a, there's a feeling that, that Illinois has made a, after many years of all kinds of different coordinators, most of which got fired, most of whom got fired, uh I think that I think we're headed for a, a better uh, run offensively this year. And if we're, and if we're better offensively, the team's going to be good because the defense. If the defense can keep can stay healthy, they've got good players at virtually every position. I think. Yeah, but you. But but when we when I say that Hart was a starting linebacker last year, how many games did he play? One. One. Okay, we can't have that this year. We need Hart to play the season. We need. Uh, we need the two defensive linemen to play the season because they are two of the best players on the football team. So my point is that Illinois' stand, it's always a concern because the injuries do happen, but they just can't happen at key positions. and That's that's the problem.
0: By my count, because I looked, I looked it up, but No, this is a few weeks ago, but I, th- I think this is correct. So correct me if I'm wrong the combined number of starts at the linebacker position that Illinois has from last year is 11. That would be between Calvin Hart, who played one game, one game. and Tariq Barnes. Barnes is good. He he made 10 starts, but that's it. Yeah. Now, but they're only using two linebackers. Right.
1: I understand I that. mean, so, you know, it's not like before when we were using two. But if
0: you add the outside linebacker, which I understand is – you could call it a defensive end, a stand-up guy, right, edge okay. rusher. There's four starts returning there out of Seth Coleman. Well, sure. So I think there's good talent, but it's a bit unproven in terms of its experience. Well,
1: you just, you just mentioned the two areas uh, uh, that they need to to bolster uh, because they lost key players at those positions. Mm-hmm. But if you go into the secondary and you go into the in, internal line, uh Illinois has got some players that have played a lot of football in, in the line. Yeah. And they've got a, they've got a lot of uh, although they they're certainly going to miss a couple guys that are gone, uh, particularly Joseph in the secondary. They're they're uh, I think they've got they're adequate at least through the first unit. I can't talk about the second unit. They're all young guys.
0: Yeah. Now, I I understand that uh Calvin Hart uh does bring experience, maybe not starting experience, but brings D1 experience with him from North Carolina State. So it's not like he's a spring mm-hmm. chicken. Or that's a, right. Now, that's the wrong term there. I mean, it's not like he's just off out of high school or something like that. You know. So he Nash- has.
1: National Player of the Week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what were the three games? <laughs> Athlon preseason, all Big Ten, fourth team for okay. th- going into this year. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's. That means that's that's recognition, at yeah. least. There are a lot of good linebackers yep. in the Big Ten. A lot of really proven linebackers who played more than one game last year. Yep.
0: Uh, okay, what else is going on? Wimbledon, Rafael Nadal has pulled out a torn abdominal muscle, so he will not play the semifinal tomorrow against Nick Kyrgios. The 22-time major champion says he's had Pain in the area for the past week, but it got much worse in yesterday's quarterfinal against Taylor Fritz.
1: I watched that Fritz match, and and it was a battle. He was down two sets to one and came back seven five and seven six to win.
0: Forty five minutes. He uh, practiced today, spending the most of the time on forehands and um, couldn't really do the serve. It's a seven millimeter tear. He couldn't reach up for the serve, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, he could serve, but it was vastly reduced in its yeah. velocity. Yeah. Seven millimeters. I mean, that's not that big uh, compared to a lot of things, but that's that's a big injury. And you, he you know, might
1: have he been able to beat Curios anyway. I mean, he beat Fritz with, without his full game, and yeah. I don't think Curios is a great player, but he's certainly been fortunate in this tournament to reach the finals here. Now,
0: I made my decision because I believe that I can't win two matches under the circumstances. I can't serve. It's not only that I can't serve at the right speed, it's, and it's that I can't do the normal movement to serve. I have to say that imagine myself winning two matches, and for respect to myself in some way, I don't want to go out there and not be competitive enough to play at the level I need to play to achieve my goal with a big chance to make things much worse.
1: Um, well, you can make things worse, yep. and, and I can see stretching up high for that service. If you've got a stomach to and abdominal terror. That's just the worst thing to, to, to affect it.
0: I, I didn't know this. Uh, Nadal finished yesterday's match, but his father and sister there were urging him to retire. So they could see what he was, he was in trouble pain-wise, mm-hmm. and they were trying to say, hey, call it here. Don't, don't risk something worse than he but, but,
1: you know, uh, I, I, I watched it, and I, I saw him make some great plays. I mean, he really did. His ground strokes were fine. Well, maybe they weren't. A, I
0: mean, I thought they were fine, but they were good enough to win. hmm So that is going on. Baseball, Shohei Ohtani continued oh, his dominance.
1: He's really rolling, isn't he?
0: One unearned run allowed while striking out 10 yesterday in a win over Miami. He's not allowed an earned run over his last 28 and two-thirds innings.
1: 100-mile-an-hour, 100, 100 101-mile-an-hour pitches.
0: Boy, and is he gets sink on his pitches, too.
1: Well, he was MVP last year in the American League. He'll be the MVP or
0: unanimous this year. You can't argue with that. Cardinals trying to avoid a sweep against the Braves. Spencer Strider today for the Atlanta Braves. And you tell me, I've heard it meant pronounced a couple of different ways. Matthew Libretor? Libretore? Libretor. Liber-
1: I, I don't think you pronounce the A. I think it's Libretor. I hear it, it. Levator. But there is an A ahead of the T-O-R-E. Levator, and he's not good enough, I'm afraid. Every indication from the minor league people that talked about him when he came up and the performance that he's shown since he's been up, he just hasn't been an adequate starter for the Cardinals. And they don't have an adequate starting rotation. It's just way
0: down. When we uh, come back... I want to bring to your attention some attention that's going the way of Wisconsin and how they are winning some recruiting battles. In Illinois. In Illinois. So that. And then Anthony Heron from the Big Ten Network and more up in Chicago will join us yet this hour on Sports Talk. Hi, it's Len Casper. Tune in tonight for White Sox Baseball here on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM. The White Sox and Detroit tonight in that ball game. Cubs with a late game against the Dodgers tonight. Cubs right.
1: on a row, five out of the last six series. Can they take one from the Dodgers
0: out there? That's tough. You bet. It's Gets tough. that lineup, Gets beat, that pitching staff,
1: they've beaten the Braves. They've beaten the Cardinals. They've they've done. They beat the Red Sox. I mean, they've they've done a good job. They beat the Brewers. I mean. <laughs> There's something going on there.
0: Yeah, but I, I think teams get into hot stretches and cold stretches. Well, of course. But yeah. over the long run, yeah, it's fun. All of a, su- all Enjoy of a sudden,
1: they're getting a little better pitching.
0: Yep. Yeah. But I don't, I, I don't think it means anything in the long run. Well,
1: not when you're more than ten
0: games under five hundred, No,
1: but, but they're at least playing better. Yep. That
0: makes it more fun. What are they going to do about the catching situation, Contreras? That's a really good question. Uh, because I think the he becomes a free agent- mm-hmm. the Cardinals are in a position where they probably want to buy now as opposed to sell given their pitching woes they need a catcher <laughs> well the Cardinals need a, a, a pitcher but well, the well Car- they need
1: a pitcher and a catcher yes they're going to need a catcher but and they
0: need some healthy outfielders too yeah but the the Cubs are definitely in selling mode and it's all about Wilson Contreras um well, they're not going to sell Contreras to the Cardinals no you you can't do that. That just feels sacrilegious. <laughs> That'd be like sending I don't know a a really good base dealer Well, it might on what they
1: get for him. I mean, you they're going to take the best deal for him, but they're not going to trade with the Cubs. Yeah, if you'd had the, this it's really Brock, incredible base it's dealer, Brock Rubrolio, yeah, they might do
0: that. That would be crazy. That would not be right. <laughs> that wouldn't be uh, Contreras. By the way, right now, day to day, with left hamstring tightness, um, the Cubs are not too concerned and is supposed to be back in the lineup uh, this weekend. By the way, we're keeping an eye on Michael Massey, former Illini infielder he's who's... He's going to make it up this year, uh, I think. I think I think he's worth getting up there. I just don't know the business end of it if they want well,
1: to... you got? You got to play him in second base. That's the only problem. Well,
0: see, Mitt where, uh, Whit Merrifield is being discussed as a possible trade piece, and he's been underperforming a little bit there. But still has some encouraging signs, and he's into his 30s. And you can't sit on a 24-year-old too long because that's starting in terms of Michael Massey. And the other interesting thing is they played him at third base. Omaha did. When? uh, Two nights ago. Okay. So I don't... For that purpose? You don't, I mean, right, the front office often sets lineups. Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. In in minor leagues. Yeah, I understand that. So they may have said the uh, Cardinals did that with Gorman. He mm-hmm. wasn't a second baseman. What can we do? Uh, you know, what can we do to get this guy some reps? But I read a few weeks ago that they looked like they were interested in just letting Michael Massey get his reps in at Triple mm-hmm. A. That's okay. Get very, but he's if he keeps tearing it up, they may have no choice but to call him up. So we could see if Illinois' next uh, big league. Well, I call bet he up. gets.
1: I bet he gets called up in September. That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That'd be and that'd be. Uh, frankly, uh, a thrill because he's yep. a great guy and comes from a good family and uh, got to know him covering Illinois baseball, and you want to root for him, and he's in his healthiest state he's ever been and strongest. I if anybody's
1: played as many games as he has in two situations without an error. He, he went a long time in Illinois without an error, mm-hmm.
0: and now he's gone in the minor leagues and gone on another long stretch without an error. Yeah. and he didn't make an error at third base, which is – well, usually your t- usually your shortstop has the most errors because they oh, touch sure. the ball the most.
1: Well, they've also got to make a tougher throw. Mm-hmm. Second base if you catch the
0: ball, yes, you got an easy throw. Yep, or if you knock it down. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes all down. you got to do is it's knock easy, it down and keep it in front. Except of you. some of these second basemen are playing in right field now. Yeah. Short right field. That's that's for sure. All right, the Athletic Jesse Temple covers the Badgers headline. Inside Wisconsin's Recruiting Success in Illinois and what it means for the future. One high school coach, Wisconsin acts in a very professional manner. I think they know that with Coach Bielema now at Illinois and Illinois doing a great job of recruiting Illinois rather than maybe some other coaches. I think this is the head high school coach, uh, uh, Casey Quadenfeld from Brother Rice, saying, I think the other Big Ten schools see that and they're like, okay, we need to get to Chicago so it's never cut off from us. Again, it's kudos to Coach Bielma, but I think Wisconsin sees what's going on around them. Wisconsin has five commitments uh, from prospects in the 2023 class who are from Illinois. That's the highest number of Illinois commitments for Wisconsin since 2000. That's the last time the Wisconsin Badgers signed five players from the state.
1: Well, let me say a couple of things. Number one, Illinois took five linemen last year. They've got five linemen on the freshman team this year. So that's, I mean, they're not going to go back and and, and hit the linemen quite as hard this year as they did last year because they got these five and they are good prospects, mm-hmm. regardless of where they came from. Mm-hmm. And some of the players that, Wisconsin has taken are not highly ranked I mean they got five but they're not all in the top 20 and and I don't know that for sure but I I I looked at it the other day and I saw where there they had some players down lower although they got some near the top two so the problem the, the other thing I'm going to mention is you made a statement you said Illinois is doing a really good job with the Illinois coaches it isn't paying off I, I'm it saying what this article said. I, well yeah. I think it, I'll say it. yeah Illinois is doing a, a really good job working the coaches. They've done everything they pump, pump. It doesn't mean they're going to get the players. and they, so far they aren't. Now Illinois has got some Illinois players but they're they're all except for Fagan from Arthur Lovington, except for Fagan, all of them are, are 17 or lower ranked among the they're like 17 to 35
0: in there. Contributing to this is the state of Wisconsin is down in talent for the 23 class. Okay. But I'll say it again. I've said it before. I can say this confidently having grown up in the Chicagoland area. Kids in Chicagoland area do not identify with the state of Illinois Mm -hmm. like other kids do Mm -hmm. in their states. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin has an identity. If you're from Milwaukee— or Madison or Appleton or anywhere in between, you still kind of identify as Wisconsin. hmm You identify with the Badgers, the yep. Packers, the Brewers. Yep. It's yep. kind of your state. But kids in the Chicagoland area don't think about I mean you somewhat, but you don't you just don't think about Illinois the same way. I think it's similar in New York City. You know, if you're from New York City, you don't necessarily identify with the state of New York like you would if you're from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, this is cited in the article, Madison's two hours or less from much of the Chicagoland area. It's actually a shorter drive than it is to Champaign. Yep. You get a two-hour drive to South and Bend. And the stadium. Yep. And you got a two-hour drive to South Bend. It's and not that, stadium. <laughs> it's not stadium. It's not that bad of a drive out to Iowa City. I'm told, uh,
1: Tom Knowles told me this, The uh, South Bend Tribune writer told me this yesterday, he said, Man, he said Notre Dame is into this nil. He said their their donors are deep in this thing. They first of all they got thirteen billion in endowment money sitting there. They're not worried about how much money they take in for football. They aren't really worried about it. They just want to be an independent and they want to be able to recruit all over the country and they'll pay the players whatever they can. Mm-hmm. And they are number one in recruiting right now in the two thousand twenty-three and just. Just two weeks ago, Ohio State looked like they were unstoppable in recruiting, and Notre Dame just swept past them.
0: I would see that I think the most likely scenario, if Notre Dame ends up fully committing to a conference, be it the ACC or the Big Ten or something else, it might be more because their hand is forced than the enticement of the media money that would come from joining the Big Ten, for example, because of what
1: you just said. It will depend Entirely on how they judge their chances of getting in a 12-team playoff a couple of years from now. Exactly. If something happens where all they care is about winning the national championship.
0: If something happens where that playoff format says if you're independent, you, you can't get in. It. It's got to come out of a well, conference. Something something like that. You know what I mean? Where 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 y- your hand is forced. Well,
1: the the problem. They, they're they going to have to take – if they have 12 teams, they're going to have to take most of the teams in the top 10 ranked, mm-hmm. most of the ranked teams. That would be the champions of – I don't know how many conferences there are going to be but, because I can't tell anymore because the Big 12 is trying to get Pac-12 teams to come. The Pac-12 teams trying to get Big 12 teams to come, and the SEC is supposedly talking to Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and Virginia today. Now, that may be a rumor, but it's out there. I mean – I. I don't know how they're going to figure out what to do. They've got to, they've got to settle the conferences before they can figure out how to set up a playoff.
0: All I'm saying is it's a strategy that's been employed before. Don't make us make a decision to end our tradition. I'd say don't put that decision on me as the school, but if somebody else makes it for me, then I can uh, wash my hands of it and tell my alumni base it wasn't my decision. Look, the college football playoff made me do it. But obviously money is not making them do it because right now they could join the Big Ten and increase their monetary Double. revenue. Yes, incredible by incredible amounts. But Double it doesn't amount. matter to them. Double their money in one day. It doesn't matter because they have enough money coming in from other places and tradition and independence and, and alumni base and all that. They
1: may be hard for the Big Ten to deal with with that money that they have now coming from NBC which is 15 million and the larger amount that'll be coming from NBC when this contract is up in 2 years. I don't know whether the Big 10 the Big 10 has always split the money equally. Now that's not entirely true because when Rutgers came in and Maryland came in they they were not full full members the first year. It took several years for them to get the full full benefits. But I think I think Notre Dame would get full benefits right off the top, but what are they going to do with that NBC situation? Mm-hmm. All right, uh, you know I, I bring it up because Texas tried to take their the money from their Longhorn network to the Pac-12, and the Pac-12
0: turned them down. Mm-hmm. And it cost the Pac-12 in the end, even though that Longhorn network never really made it what they thought it might. But okay. Anthony Heron, Big Ten Network and the score in Chicago and Fox with us right after this. Hi, it's Len Casper. Tune in tonight for White Sox Baseball here on News Talk
2: 1400
0: and 93.9 FM. You've got sports talk here on this rainy Thursday, finally getting the rain we need here. Anthony Heron is a former Iowa Hawkeye, was an All-Big Ten Honorable Mention in his senior season back in 2000, is now on the Big Ten Network. He's on The Score in Chicago. He is a football analyst as well for Fox, and he joins us here on a Sports Talk. I don't know. Are you on Sirius XM too, Anthony, still?
2: <laughs> I am, yeah. I do my Big Ten show every morning. Uh, Big Ten this morning is the show we do the variety of the year uh this part of the year we only do one show a day so it's just big 10 today but yeah we're on from 7 to 10 a.m central time on weekday mornings on SiriusXM channel 372. i uh,
0: i understand the draw of the microphone so i appreciate uh <laughs> and i'm slightly envious of the amount of gigs you you have amassed after a pretty good uh, football <laughs> career as well but Um, Obviously, the big story, of course, is USC and UCLA joining the conference. Has that dominated your uh, discussions as well uh, on the programs?
2: It certainly has. Uh, From every angle that is imaginable, we've been discussing that over the past week. And, you know, I certainly am amongst the folks who got caught off guard by it last Thursday afternoon when the news first started to circulate. You know, I think um, a lot of us anticipated that there would be some sort of counterpunch to Alabama adding Texas and Oklahoma or to the SEC, of course, led by Alabama adding Texas and Oklahoma about a year ago this time. But none of us knew exactly what it would be. And it's one thing to just add teams to expand the conference. We've seen conference expansion here in recent years in a variety of different leagues. But it's one thing to add, you know, Maryland, Rutgers, it's great. It gets you in different TV markets and adds competition to other regions of the country. But when you're making yourself a national brand like the Big Ten has here, expanding from coast to coast, some historic moves being made in the conference.
0: So I'm curious from the football perspective on the field, and, you know, you've obviously played Big Ten football. You cover it. You've also covered the Pac-12. Um, w- right. What does it mean for the football when you add these two programs? And obviously, there's potential for more. But at least with USC and UCLA, what does that mean about Big Ten football? And when these two, when when all these schools start facing each other?
2: Well, there's there's multiple levels to it because you're adding uh, the preeminent brand in the conference in the Pac-12 and USC, and so now you have what well, at least as far as the West Coast goes is, is an unparalleled brand recognition there, the national championships they've won, all the Heisman Trophy winners. So that prestige is now going to be in the Big Ten. And USC, by Trojan standards, has been somewhat down in recent years and even you know through that lens to still be a club that in recent years has won Pac-12 championships, has won a Rose Bowl. Remember, it was a really electric game where they defeated Penn State in the Rose Bowl a few seasons ago and Sam Donald's first year as a starter. And Saquon Barkley was on that Penn State team, one of the memorable matchups we've seen in the Rose Bowl of recent vintage. So USC has been towards the top, but they haven't been in that national championship discussion. That was the thing. Clay Helton's resume never got to the point where Trojans fans fully embraced him because he couldn't get over that hump against the elite teams in the country. But now with Lincoln Riley taking that program over, there's been an infusion of resources, especially in this name, image, and likeness era that we're in right now, an infusion of interest certainly makes a big difference. Their spring football game had amongst the biggest crowds that they've ever had for a spring game at USC. It's one thing, you know, to, to see it somewhere like Nebraska, where there's not much else to do, but to see a huge spring football crowd at USC just shows the excitement that that program now, now has building based off of the Lincoln-Riley hire, the way they've recruited what they've done in the transfer portal. So expectations are rightfully very high there. In UCLA, Chip Kelly's been there for a handful of years at this point, and he finally got to the point where he was able to turn the program around. And they turned a bit of a corner last year with an eight-win season. And so not only the football aspect of things, which we all pay very close attention to, but, of course, basketball, UCLA's men's basketball program has been stellar over the last few seasons here. And historically, we know how great they've been so, from a competition perspective, just in football and basketball, you're adding the, the depth to the conference that everyone hopes for. And then, of course, when you get into the Olympic sports, you know, the Pac 12 from top to bottom is excellent. And USC and UCLA are amongst the best in those Olympic sports as well.
1: Anthony, this is Lauren. We're hearing all kinds of rumors around the country. The SEC is looking at the ACC, North Carolina, Clemson, some of those schools out west. We know that Pac 12 wants to be, uh, wants to land some members of the big 12 and the big 12 wants to land some members of the Pac 12 and what do you see as the next move and what notre dame going to do
2: well you mentioned the the one there lauren that's kind of the you know the pinnacle that everyone sort of hopes for in what remains of teams that aren't amongst the power five right now notre dame as you guys know currently has their their sort of loose relationship with the acc still keeping their independent status still keeping a national footprint with their schedule like they've always done, but current uh, agreement is with the ACC for a certain number of games. And they used to have X number of games with the Big Ten, like they did with the Big East in basketball before that. They do play Big Ten hockey at the moment. So Notre Dame has always been that program throughout all of our lifetimes where yep. a lot of different conferences, conferences around the college sports world has hoped to add the Irish. This feels like, the time as much as any where Notre Dame would be at risk of maybe falling behind, falling behind financially, falling behind in brand recognition and prestige if they don't keep up with the Big Ten, with the SEC, because there's a reason Notre Dame is the lone independent team that's a part of the college football playoff discussion because they're the, the university of college football in America, you know, like Mike Wilbon called them on PTI. But now, because of the money and how different it's going to be with this deal, the Big Ten is preparing to sign and with what the SEC has on the way as well, this would be the first stretch where Notre Dame wouldn't be financially on par with the top programs in the country. So that's a risk for the Irish. And you would imagine that they've been doing their due diligence. They've been, you know, crunching all the numbers in preparation for this time that a lot of folks have seen coming. But there's going to be a decision for Notre Dame to make here. You wonder if the ACC can make things enticing enough to, to keep Notre Dame in the loop and maybe even bring them in as a fully-fledged member of the conference like during the, the initial COVID year where they participated in the ACC championship game. But you may be asking a lot. It really might because there's there's no one in the country who's going to be able to compete financially with the money that can be guaranteed by the Big Ten and the SEC.
1: Do you see a, a time in the near future where the distributions from TV might be uneven and Notre Dame having that NBC network, which uh, is only 15 million, which isn't a lot by Big Ten standards, but do, do you see the uneven thing happening?
2: I believe so, and I think that that's what could end up being sort of the the driving force behind the decision for Notre Dame, where historically they've always valued their independence, the freedom that gives them, and they've still had that seat at the college football playoff table. So Notre Dame has been able to act as a conference unto itself this entire time from a football perspective. But, you know, you wonder if some of these conferences who really want Notre Dame in the fold, perhaps if, if someone starts to maybe freeze Notre Dame out from a scheduling perspective, is that something that maybe draws the Irish in yeah. a bit more? And there's some of these historic partnerships that have been in place on the field. We've, we've seen them play USC so much over the years. They played Michigan and Purdue so many times over the years. Even Northwestern's had a number of matchups so there's potential there to just be able to ease Notre Dame into a conference footprint like the Big Ten because there's been overtures so frequently. I remember as a kid, like, reading the Chicago Sun-Times, back in the, the early to mid-'90s, reading articles about the Big Ten going for Notre Dame, when's Notre Dame going to join the Big Ten. So this feels like it's, it's as plausible as it's ever been at any other time. And I think that's a part of why the – the additional teams that could potentially be added, to hear about you know, maybe increasing the Pac-12 footprint, maybe you get Oregon and Washington and, and seek them out. But I think the Big Ten, amongst a few other conferences, are really hoping they'll be able to strike some sort of a deal with Notre Dame to get them into the conference. So right now it seems that we won't likely see other teams, in my opinion, I don't think see other teams added to the Big Ten, until maybe the conference really gets a good sense for if they can nab Notre Dame first
0: pleased to be joined here by Anthony Heron on Sports Talk. What about I've heard it said in simple terms this Anthony a school like USC traditionally and maybe UCLA really good in the skill positions but a little bit smaller in the trenches. What would it mean do you think potentially long term for a school like USC to be matching up with the Wisconsin's the Iowa's and for what they hope, Illinois as well, where it's big boy football up the middle?
2: I love that question, Scott, because so much of the conversation over the past week has been about the Big Ten having the opportunity to go into that that Pac-12 footprint, to go into the Pacific time zone and get even more recruits out of the state of California than what they've gotten in in recent years here and i think that's great and it is an opportunity for the conference to continue to expand that brand out there you know let alone the tv side of it just increasing the big 10 network distribution out there but i think the inverse of that is very true and i think it's an astute observation on your part because the pac-12 including usc-ucla that's really the main area where that conference lags behind the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big Twelve. You know, some of the other conferences where you do get more of the southeastern sort of footprint to your recruiting than what's available in the Pac twelve. And there just haven't been over the past decade as many dominant, you know, four and five star, like ready made star level offensive linemen that have come out of that Pac twelve region. So when you're looking at the Pacific time zone, it's one thing, you know, you can get You get a few Polynesian recruits, certainly. You get some guys who you can develop. But overall, the depth of talent is definitely in the skill position, quarterback, receivers, defensive backs, maybe some pass rushers. But on the line of scrimmage, interior defensive line, all along the offensive line, that's really a lot of it. has come more so from the Midwest, from the Southeast. It's an opportunity for USC, for UCLA to say, now that they're going to be participating in a Big Ten schedule, that can enhance their depth up front and make them more competitive on the line of scrimmage than what the Pac-12 has been. And that's really where the conference has fallen behind in recent years. It's not just about the revenue. We pay most attention to that. And I think a lot of folks who've been concerned about some of these other conferences who don't operate in the same financial realm as the Big Ten and the SEC, the line of scrimmage is where the Pac-12 has fallen behind as much as anyone. Like you referenced, I've covered that conference a lot in years past. It's the offensive and defensive lines. That's really where Pac-12 football hasn't been able to maintain sort of a par status with a lot of the other main competitors around the country.
0: And we have, uh, what, a couple of weeks here, maybe three weeks until uh, Big Ten football media days. Much of what we're all talking about right now, Anthony, is going to be relevant in 2024 and beyond. But as (laughs) for the 2022 football season, and as we are on the cusp of – starting all that, what are maybe some of the big things that you'll be curious about going into this season or, uh, you know, especially when it comes to, we all know about Ohio, Ohio, state and Michigan, but you know, when it comes to the West and what have, what have you?
2: Well, the depth of the West division has been apparent to me for several seasons now and there's a lot of steam around Nebraska as a program going into this season. Some of the things they've done in the transfer portal and there's excitement about, you know, having Adrian Martinez out, who it does seem a little bit odd to me that you lose the all-time leader in total offense and folks are just presuming that the quarterback position is going to be better, going to be more productive for Nebraska. I think that's asking a lot. We'll see what Casey Thompson ends up bringing to the table for the Huskers if he ends up being the starter there. But I think the depth of the West Division will be on display, especially with some of the experience that's there. At quarterback, you know, Graham Mertz for Wisconsin will get another year, his third season essentially as a starter. Aiden O'Connell, this would be the first time in several years where Jeff Brown and Purdue have had a returning starter at quarterback, one of the most productive quarterbacks in the country. And, of course, my Iowa Hawkeyes, Spencer Petras, will likely be the starter there. They're calling it an open competition for the moment between he and Alex Padilla. Frankly, neither guy it was nearly as productive as the Hawkeyes needed them to be, and it still ended up being another season of double-digit wins for Kirk Ferentz. It was uh, you know, one of those seasons that kind of felt like one of the old Chicago Bears years when the defense did a lot of the heavy lifting and scored so many points and touchdowns. And The offensive line was inexperienced for Iowa last year beyond center Tyler Underbaum, The offensive line should be better, deeper across the front line for the Hawkeyes this year. The running back position should be deep and talented as well. I think that will have to lead the day for Iowa if they're going to be one of these division title contenders. I think the sleeper, though, not many folks talk about Minnesota. We're just sort of accustomed to dismissing the Gophers. They're going to have maybe the most experienced quarterback in college football returning this season. They're also going to have one of the best running backs in the country. There's a case to be made for Muhammad Ibrahim with healthy to maybe be the best running back in America. Lost him in the opener last season, and he's back. They're saying he's healthy, that Achilles tendon. You know, they're going to be as cautious as they can with him, and it will be a even deeper running back position for the Gophers. But beyond what they do on offense, this is a Minnesota defense. That's what stands out to me up and down the West Division. There's teams that are competitive there in the West that are playing better defense than we've seen from these programs in a long time, like Minnesota, like Purdue, that we don't think defense first with these teams, but they've gotten really good there. That's one of the things for the Illini that I think gives them a great shot to be competitive there because we know the potential for Illinois on defense and what they did on that side of the ball as they kind of grew into that capacity last year. A lot of tight ball games. I called a couple of them myself mm-hmm. during the season last fall and it made it really fun to call Illini football because so many of the games were tight. And we'll see you know, what happens with a new Illinois offense and what Brett Bealem was able to do on that side of the football. with a lot of new and far Far younger team than the Illini will have had in Brett Bielema's first season, by comparison to what we'll see this year.
0: Well, what I what I hear you saying is Illinois is the clear favorite to win the West Division. <laughs> 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 so.
2: You know what? Uh, I I talked to Brett Bielema about it even going into last season because of all those super seniors that a lot of us discussed so much going in the last year, it felt like a season where he had an opportunity to kind of get off to a good hot start in year one and maybe make a bowl game. And they got right on the cusp Mm -hmm. of that, hitting that five win plateau and a couple of those close games that they weren't quite able to pull out. And that can be really difficult to do in year one with a program. Year two, we'll see how much of a step back it ends up being because you have a new offensive system that'll be in place because they're going to be this young and inexperienced team. But he had the first season where groundwork was able to be laid by the example set from so many of those experienced ball players who had taken their lumps, but they were able to win some games and be really competitive. I think The Illini really intrigued me this year because it's almost like Justin Fields, you know, Bears quarterback, where the situation in year two has some uncertainty around it for the Illini as a whole, but there was groundwork laid in year one and some reasons to really be excited about it. You just wonder whether or not, the the development can really bring things along quickly enough because, overall, top to bottom, he hasn't had a lot of time yet to accumulate the type of talent that you know Brett Bielen is going to want in Champaign.
0: Anthony Heron, it's a treat when we get to talk with you. We really appreciate it, and folks can hear you on SiriusXM, The Score, and see you on the Big Ten Network. And, I don't know, you're probably doing movies or something, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so looking forward to Indianapolis as well. We're, what, 18 days away? From Big Ten media day, there's a lot of news to be made
0: there. Yep. We'll see you then, friend. Appreciate your time.
2: Scott, Lauren, thanks, guys. Do it again.
0: All right. Anthony Herron. follow him on Twitter as well. Back in a moment. Do you think deep down somewhere, Lauren, guys like P.J. Fleck or Jeff Brom in the Big Ten West are going, Notre Dame, USC, joining the conference? Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that uh, Purdue, by the way, has played them a lot. So yep. has Michigan State. So has Michigan. You know, they it, they've, uh, they could have sh- shut out Notre Dame and didn't.
0: Yep. Well, I think there's a competitive in all competitor in all of them. that they would say, "Bring it on," but there's and also th- the now I got to compete with them every year. And those games are worth something too, by the way. Oh yeah, that's for sure. All right, sir. Enjoy tomorrow off. We'll hear you Saturday morning. Yep. Lauren Tate with us. Colin Likas coming in next hour. A little late for the news on WDWS Champaign-Urbana.